Good morning. Today is Thursday, October 6th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for listening and gathering around God's Word today. Actually, today happens to be my birthday. So thank you for joining me for my birthday right here on Thy Strong Word. Whether you tune in over the air, stream online, or download the show as a podcast, I'm so glad you're here. Settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We're about to begin. Thy Strong Word is underwritten by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. When you get some time, visit lhfmissions.org to learn more about all the good work that they do for the kingdom. And while you're online, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or maybe you just want to say hello, you can email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. And every Friday, I'll begin the show by pulling from the listener email bag, so be sure to tune in for that to hear your comments. Well, chapter 14 is our text for today, at least the first half, and it is about building up and edifying and bolstering the saints of God's church. Having just described for them the way of true godly love in chapter 13, that love is not a feeling but an action, faith in action for the benefit of others, St. Paul now turns back to the issue of spiritual gifts, in particular, the gifts of tongues and prophecy. Now, the gifts of tongues appeared to be favored by the Corinthians, who maybe they wanted to have ecstatic spiritual abilities like they saw in the pagan oracles or priests, some manifestation of unusual power. Who really knows? But the apostle cautions them to remember the purpose of gifts, to build up the church. Well, to help build us up and edify us with the first part of chapter 14, verses 1 through 25, I'm pleased to welcome as my guest, the Reverend Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Lutheran Church of the Deaf in Austin, Texas. Brian's also the author of several excellent books. Check out all that he does at wolfmuller.co. That's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O. Pastor Wolfmuller, Good morning, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Hey, happy birthday. God be praised. And I think, by the way, that people should check out Lutheran Heritage Foundation, even if they don't have time, because that the work that they're doing is great. It, it really is. It's amazing what they do. In my outreach that I had done in the past to Hispanic populations, you just give them a call up, and they're able to provide really a ton of resources that are you know Reformation-based and in our tradition biblical. I went to Haiti, got some catechisms in uh, Haitian Creole. I mean, where else are you going to get stuff like that? It's I a handed great out ministry. Bhutanese catechisms that Lutheran Heritage sent and also Japanese catechisms. That they oh. And they send it for free to congregations who need it. They, they do the stuff, produce this, translate the stuff, which is expensive and hard work. And then they give the resources away. I can't think of a better thing to support. So it's great. Yeah, it is. It is really amazing. So yeah, thanks for bolstering them and edifying them because they certainly do that for us and our ministries whenever we're reaching out. Well, brother, today's text is on prophecy and tongues. But before we dive in, would you begin our time together in prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The blessed Lord who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that by 
the patience and comfort of your holy word, we might embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of eternal life, which you give us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, brother, I suppose it de- it depends on your interpretation of these passages, but in my growing up down south in, in areas where uh, Southern Baptists were very popular, where Pentecostals of all types of uh, stripes were very popular, um, the, the interpretation of these texts led to a lot of confusion among people. And I still think there's some confusion today, even in Lutheran circles and other traditions. So as we get into this, um, I, I think it's important that our listeners understand that regardless of the gifts that God gives us, and essentially this is what Paul is teaching them, we are to use everything we've been given, whether they be abilities or time or even uh, the money that we make to help our neighbor and our families are our neighbor. Uh, ourself can be considered a neighbor for sure, but ultimately to help those that God has put around us, including brothers and sisters in the church. So as we read this, I think it's important that our listeners pay special attention to the exact words of the text and of course what our what our guest has to share. So I'm going to read from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible, chapter 14, and I'm just going to read the first five verses. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now I'm going to stop right there because obviously we have a lot of defining to do. Spiritual gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues. Brother, where do you want to start? Well, maybe in, if we remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul was thanking God for the Corinthians and reporting to them his prayer. He said, I thank you that you have so many spiritual gifts. And so he gives thanks to God for these gifts that are manifest among them, including uh, the gifts of tongues and interpretation and prophecy, hospitality, miracles, uh, healing, knowledge, and all these other gifts that he's discussed already in chapter 12. Chapter 13 is so important because it says that, look, all of this must be um, directed towards the love of the neighbor. But now he's going to come back specifically to this gift of tongues, which is causing problems in Corinth. We'll remember that, that the church in Corinth was full of so many mm, divisions and factions, and they weren't able to determine what was true or false. They, they had false doctrine in their midst. Some were even doubting the resurrection. There was a man boasting of his sexual immorality in his freedom in Christ. There was divorce and, and a number of other things that were, were going on there. And so while they, uh, they had a lot of spiritual gifts, they weren't being used to the right ends. And so Paul's going to come back, and, and really in this section, he's going he's gonna to make the argument that the, the real gift to pursue is prophecy over tongues. Now, the other thing as we think about, well, what is prophecy and what is tongues? We, we have a hard time because we 
have have difficulty seeing these gifts without the shading of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement of the last 150 years. And that makes us think of tongues as these moments of ecstatic speech where people are sort of, they're swept away in in the spiritual moment and they begin to speak in a language that they don't know, that they don't even understand. And it's understood to be an angelic language. That's from the verse in um, the last chapter, chapter 13, where he says, I, if I speak in the me- tongues of men or of angels, but don't have love, I'm a, a, clong, a gong and a cymbal. But um, I think the best way to think about this, and, and I'd like to submit this for your critique, really, is to think of prophecy as preaching and to think of tongues as speaking in another human language that I haven't learned yet. And the reason why I want to define tongues that way is because this is what happens at Pentecost. The apostles are all gathered in the upper room, and 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descends on them, and they all begin to preach the marvelous works of God, it says in the text, in languages that they haven't heard, so that all those people gathered in Jerusalem can hear them preaching. So that the gift of of tongues is understood as uh, a miraculous ability to speak in a language that you don't know. The trouble is, if you're speaking in a language you don't know, you're saying things you don't know. It's sort of bypassing your own will as you determine what to say. And that can be a dangerous thing. The gift of tongues is given four times in the New Testament, outside of the report that we're dealing with here in 1 Corinthians. So we see it in Acts Four times the gift of, of glossolila, or this gift of tongues is there at Pentecost. And then uh, in Acts chapter 10, later uh, when the apostles lay their hands on people, and it's always connected to the apostolic office. It's one of these sign gifts that indicates that the Spirit is present uh, and working with authority to preach God's word. And I think we have a hint in the end of the previous chapter, 13 here, that those gifts were only for a time. Uh, uh, tongues will cease, it says. Uh, so we would only look for those for a certain time. But that I, I think that's the simple way to think of tongues, is the ability to speak in a language that you've never learned. Prophecy, on the other hand, is to preach and to speak clearly the works of God and the word of God in a language that you do know. And that's why prophecy is to be preferred, because prophet, prophecy isn't just a spiritual exercise for the person who's speaking, but it also benefits the people who are hearing. And this is why also Paul insists on tongues being interpreted so that they're not a, simply an exercise of a spiritual gift to show that you have been touched by the apostle, but rather it's to benefit the people that are around you. And I think if we, if we have those simple interpretations, then this text becomes a lot less um, mysterious and a lot more accessible to us. You know, it really does. And I think those are extremely helpful ways of thinking about it. Prophecy because not only the way that we understand, say, the Old Testament prophets, where part of God's message given to them would include seeing things into the future, proclaiming things that would happen in the future. And the modern understanding has leaned more towards this Nostradamus kind of prophet where he's writing in this cryptic language and we have to decipher what it means for the future. And that's not how the Old Testament prophets worked. And It's uh, much more general, as you say, speaking the word that God has given you to speak. 
in the time of the prophets. It might have been directly or auditory uh, or you know visually. In these day, in this day and age, of course, he speaks to us through his son and the word. So you, when you prophesy, as you pointed out, you're preaching the word of God. And I like how when you brought up the idea that spiritual gift of um, of tongues, when it's found elsewhere in the scripture, is associated with the apostolic office, because we also know, and we've covered already on this show, in 1 Corinthians, that's another thing that he addresses. They seem to have this misunderstanding of what the office of apostle is. Paul both argues for its it's standing as one who is a leader in the church, but he also is sure to let them know that um, it's it's not about power and control as maybe the leaders of the other types of religions they see in their community, but rather it's for service, for building people up. Because, you know, the Corinthians, they're in this wealthy up-and-coming area, and they see all of this, you know, influence and power and authority, and they want some of that in the same way that they see these aesthetic gifts at least this is how I understand it. And they go, wow, we want those types of gifts. And that's what he was talking about a few chapters ago. So when it comes down to the apostolic office, well, what's the point of that? Well, Paul's already described it to them, right? To proclaim the things of God. And here we are. He's connecting, as you so eloquently put, uh, sp- speaking about God in both languages that we know and languages that we have not previously learned. And even an Acts, even in Acts, the the gift of tongues was for the purpose of proclaiming the word to benefit other people. So the speaking in tongues that I grew up around, my wife, who grew up in a Pentecostal church, the gift of tongues that she was always encouraged to develop or receive as a gift, you know, they don't believe that you can just learn it. It has to be a gift from God. Um, or from the Holy Spirit, a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you examine how people speak in tongues at different churches in different areas, you can tell, just practically speaking, that they learn it from hearing other people do it. You can just, you can, there's evidence of that. Well, my wife never felt any inclination to speak in tongues and was kind of uh, seen as lesser of a Christian, even as a young girl, because she had never developed that gift. And that's what people are up against when they make it into this mysterious thing. Um, so I, that's why I have some special connection to this idea of speaking in tongues and how it's so important for us to understand it properly and in context with the way the Bible talks about it elsewhere. Yeah, that, I think that's exactly right. And um, it this gets especially carried away in the Pentecostal movement where the gift of tongues is understood as almost as the proof of your salvation, the indication that you have the Holy Spirit. And that is so clearly non-biblical. Paul himself says not everyone speaks in tongues and indicating that not every Christian would speak in tongues. And when the, the Pentecostal church, branches of the Pentecostal church make that particular gift the indication of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you see how this particular gift is is misused. Um, it, it becomes an expression of my own. It, it becomes an expression of pride, really. Look at how spiritual I am because I have this gift, rather than serving the neighbor. And we're ba- we're right back to the problem that Paul was addressing in chapter thirteen. Look, there's no love there, so it does no good. It does no good at all. So so instead of I, I remember one uh, person who. Became Christian, and I, they were Hindu. I can't remember who this was. I listened to the lecture, and they said, 
you know, when I became Christian, I thought I was done with all this Hindu paganism. And then I find it right here because Hinduism also has a form of speaking in ecstatic languages. This is a, the old pagan thing from the oracles that you were talking about before this speaking in these ecstatic uh, languages that you don't understand. That's that's a pagan practice, not a Christian practice. The Christian is there for, to be built up by the by the Lord's word, which is why Paul insists that if there is someone speaking in tongues, that 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 speaking would be translated. That, that's a, it's assuming that there's a that that it's a known language and that it, it it's regular human speech. Right. You know, verse two, I can tell you, is used by those who hold to this being an ecstatic speaking in tongues. As the evidence, just like you had mentioned from 13 about the language of angels, but they used verse 2 as evidence to that this is an ecstatic heavenly language. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. And so they read that text very carefully, and they take it very woodenly and literally to say, and out of context I should mention, to say, okay, see, this is a heavenly language where you're just speaking to God. But the greater context is that's not good right? because if you're just speaking to God, no one else is benefiting. That's right. And then God doesn't need to hear your sermon. This this is the point. That's why he says, this is why prophecy or preaching is to be preferred. Uh, It's, it seems like, and then, you know, to take our understanding here and come back to this text, it makes sense, but that, when the apostles laid hands on people, they would receive these gifts and they would have them so that when the apostles came and they ordained people and they would have the gift of tongues, they could use this gift. But now they're using it not to serve each other, but, hey, look, I'm I'm speaking to God, me and God, and but I'm doing it right here in church so that everyone can see how holy I am. Ugh. But how different is that than right. what is happening in the modern day Pentecostal church? I mean, it's even worse now because. It's it's just kind of mumbo jumbo. There's no there's no real language behind it in, at all. But this the same phenomenon is here. Is look at me breaking out in tongues, and so that you can see my uh, connection with the Holy Spirit. And the whole weight of this text is against that kind of thing. And I don't want to linger on the Pentecostals' misunderstanding, but it is important that we get that out there. But I just want to add one more thing, and that is in these churches. What they'll say is that one has the ability to speak in tongues, but they may also not have the ability to then translate or to interpret. But someone else may have the ability not to speak in them, but to interpret. So in one congregation, one person stands up, has this ecstatic speech, and if you were to ask him, what were you saying, they themselves wouldn't know because they just have the gift to speak in it, not to interpret it. So another person in the congregation, because they want to appeal to Paul's admonition here, will stand up and they'll interpret for the congregation what the ecstatic speech was. But then you say, well, can you speak in tongues? And they might say they can, or they might say, nope, I just have the gift of interpretation. Mm-hmm. And it makes it very convenient if you were trying to test any of these things. But of course, if you were trying to test them, you're just putting the Lord to the test and it's a big quagmire. So I think this is a reach because it is very... Um, well, one one thing I'll actually add is when I went to Haiti, what really has taken hold in Haiti, at least in the areas that I visited among uh, the Christians, is a Pentecostal understanding of the faith. And in some ways, and this has been written about, this isn't new to my observation, but in some ways, the Pentecostal style worship with the ecstatic uh, speaking, with the um, you know sort of violent movements of the body and all these spiritual types of things um, – 
are very uh, consistent with that of voodoo worship and other types of pagan, what we would call pagan worship services. So they, they come in and they just basically take Jesus, they add him to the shelf, and people are easy to acclimate to these things. Now, I'm not questioning any of these people's faith. I'm just saying the type of worship ends up being fairly natural to people who are looking for those things. And that's not entirely unlike what's going on in Corinth when they have these mysterious oracles, these people who um, epilepsy was seen as a divine disease because when they had an epileptic fit, people would think that these seizures were actually them being in communication with the gods. And so this is an ecstatic behavior. And they looked at that and they said, well, now that we're Christians, we want to do stuff like that. We want to have powers like that. And so Paul has a lot of work to do in these from 12 through 14 and so on to try to 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 rein in their understanding of what gifts are for. Indeed. In the next verses, he really does come to what's going on, and that is that this is about benefiting uh, others. And so I'm going to read through church, uh, verse 12, 6 through 12. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Honestly, it doesn't get any clearer than that. He yeah. talks about it being inintelligible. But if you quit reading there, then you might think this is some inintelligible language. But then he explains it. What do you think, brother? Yeah, that's exactly right. He uses the example of the flute and the bugle. And he says, can you just, you know, pick up the instrument and just play whatever? That's not a, that's not a song. It doesn't mean anything. And, and the same thing with the bugle, there was various commands that would be given in the army uh, or in the military by the bugle. One would be to charge and another would be to retreat. And, and if the, if some kid just picks up the bugle and starts blowing on it, nobody knows where to go. There's languages. He says, none are without meaning, but if you don't understand the language that I'm talking to you, or if. Uh, if I don't understand the language that I'm talking to you, then we're barbarians to one another. The language, that's the word there for foreigner. We're, we're barbarians. And, and you see that too. I mean, if you meet someone who doesn't speak a different language and you're trying to communicate with them, you're kind of, you're, you're playing a game of charades and it's pretty, it's barbarian. You know, it's very, there's nothing, there's not a real communication that's happening. So, um, so Paul's saying, look, all this tongue stuff, you guys taking this gift of tongues, maybe, you know, maybe there's a Corinthian there who's given the gift to speak in, I don't know, some African dialect, but nobody from Africa is there. You're just using it and nobody, you're talking to the air. Nobody can understand what you're saying. You don't even know what you're saying so that it doesn't benefit anybody else. The, the only benefit that comes is the benefit of being puffed up with your spiritual gift. And and this is an important thing that Paul wants to emphasize, that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. And 
we can't miss that, especially when we're looking at these spiritual gifts, that among the fruits of the Spirit, so unlike the gifts which were given to specific people for the building up of the body of Christ, the fruits of the Spirit belong to all Christians. And among those fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, or goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, is the last is self-control. So the Holy Spirit never comes such that we lose our control. So that if you have the gift of tongues, you can speak in tongues or you cannot speak in tongues. And and you the Holy Spirit does not come and usurp our uh, uh, capacity to self-regulate. In fact, he increases our self-control as, as one of his fruits. And so they're, they're coming into this ecstatic speech or using this to puff themselves up, and it's speaking to the air, and it makes them, um, it, it turns them into barbarians to one another. It doesn't build them up, but tears them down, and it leads to further distinctions and divisions in the church. I love that aspect of the spirit, you know, assisting you in self-control, not, you know, enabling you to lose control. I, you know, I hadn't thought about that, and that, I think that's a great way to describe it. You know, the whole point, the whole point Paul uh, addresses in terms of living a Christian life is one that is self-controlled, mm-hmm. not, of course, you know, according to your own will, but according to the will of the Spirit. So, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it, I can't go without saying, you know, in verse 11, as you pointed out, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a barbarian. I just love the etymology of that word from barbaros, which is just a, a kind of a nonsense word to refer to people who speak nonsense. So if someone comes up to you and they're speaking a language you don't understand, they're just babbling, then they're barbarians. And that's kind of how the term developed. At least that's what I understand. And I think that makes it a little bit more vivid than when they translate it a foreigner. Um, It's not that barbarians were a specific, you know, ethnic group or anything like that. It's just, you know, somebody who was a foreigner, the barbarians, those people we don't understand, the, the people we can't conquer. And they were always feared by, you know, it's, it's like the people outside the gate, the, the, the we're always afraid of them. Yeah, and re- they're the barbarians. Remember the teacher in Charlie Brown? Wah, 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 <laughs> That's wah, right. Wah. It's just there's noise there, but I, it's like I don't, I don't know what you're saying. I, uh, that's how. That's how, That's what happens when we. I mean, and this is, you know, sometimes it happens that you're dealing with someone and they don't speak the same language, and you're wrestling through that. But the, but when they they come into the church and they are doing that on purpose, Paul says, "What's going on here? What? It's crazy." I think we might agree that um, God can certainly give people the gift of being able to speak a language they haven't previously learned. Um, Has that ceased? Well, I I don't know. I mean, that's certainly up for debate, but I certainly think it would be agreeable to say that is not as necessary anymore. But you still hear tale of that in places where, you know, they don't have access to uh, lexicons or interpreters, and suddenly they're able to speak these languages, or even medical situations where people have had some sort of brain trauma, trauma, and somehow are able to, to some extent, speak in a language they supposedly hadn't learned. I think it's fascinating how both the brain works and how God continues to work. Uh, but Paul's overall message here is to that we have to regulate this kind of stuff. We don't we don't seek out that as evidence of God's love or our salvation. Um, but everything we're given, whether it be perhaps um, 
a, a miracle or uh, whether it's just something mundane we use to the service of our neighbor. But what do you think about this idea of you know people in the middle of nowhere receiving this glossolalia or yeah. something, however you pronounce it? Sure. I, so I, maybe a couple of things. Number one, I think you're right. Is that it's we're never commanded to to seek it or to look for it or to expect it in any way, just like miracles. That these sign gifts were distinct for the time of the apostles. And Chemnitz is so helpful on this when he says that when God is giving his word directly to people, he he accompanies his word with signs so that we can be sure that it's from him. So the prophets and the apostles were given the gift of performing miracles so that the people could trust that their words are true words from God. We, on the other hand, are given the apostles' words. So the way that we prove that our doctrine is from God is by showing it to people in the prophets and the apostles. So no longer is the word of God um, supported or demonstrated by miraculous signs. Uh, we, we point to the scriptures, the, which is the fullness of of the Lord's revelation to us. It seems also like these gifts that existed in the apostolic age would be given to a person, especially when they were ordained, and that they belonged to the person so that the the person became a prophet or a healer or one who could speak in tongues. It, it, uh, I think those offices are gone, but can the Lord still give the gifts um, when needed and for and for a time, I, sure, the Lord can heal if he wants to heal. He can speak when he wants to speak, and he can speak through someone in a language that they don't know to bless someone in, in the Lord's name. Uh, I think the gifts then come and go, and again, they're not to be looked for. In fact, our first instinct, when it comes to the miraculous or sign gifts, our first instinct is to be suspicious of them, and this is because Jesus warned us that on the last days, many will come performing signs to deceive, if possible, the elect. So our Lord warns us that the time before the end, before his return, will be full of signs for the purpose of deceiving the church. So whenever we see a sign, our first act, uh, our first responsibility is to be skeptical of that sign. That's in accord with the word of Jesus. But can the Lord do it? In fact, Sure, he can. And I wonder, uh, Phil, if so I three years ago, I received a call to not only St. Paul Lutheran Church, but to Jesus Deaf Lutheran Church, which is a, a deaf church here in Austin, Texas. And I didn't know any sign language at all. Mm. And uh, I've I've always really struggled with languages. And, and yet I've been able to learn ASL, American Sign Language, um, fairly smoothly in the last three years so that I could conduct the liturgy and, and preach in, in ASL now. And so I, I think that the Lord might've with the, with my installation here, given me the gift of tongues, although in ASL, it would be the gift of hands, right? <laughs> where I can communicate to the Lord's people here in connection to the office. But, um, and so certainly the Lord can give gifts, but we don't, we don't look for them and we're very, very careful about this. We, so, so many times, um, the, the the church wants to lean on these miraculous gifts um, and it ends up replacing the Lord's word. And that is a very dangerous spiritual place to be. That's a lot to think about and such a good reminder about acknowledging that God certainly can do those things, but we must be hel in, a, in a healthy way, suspicious of them, right? We have to test the spirits. 
So I tell you what, let's take a few moments to listen to these messages. But dear listener, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Wolf Mueller and I will continue our discussion of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. See you on the other side. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Lutheran Church of the Deaf in Austin, Texas. Pastor, before the break, you were talking about being gifted with the ability to learn American Sign Language. Um, and yeah, in a, in a smooth manner, that certainly can be attributed to God's blessing so that you can reach out to your people. And I was thinking during the break uh, what it would look like to uh, speak in tongues, you said speak in hands. Well, what would it look like to have an ecstatic utterance of speaking with hands? And my <laughs> mind was drawn, and I don't have the reference. I should have looked it up. But there was a person who was on television. It, was, it made the news. And they were famous for uh, basically faking that they knew American Sign Language. And they were at a press conference, <laughs> and they were just making it up as they went. Yes, for President Obama. Oh, I, that's I, what it was. <laughs> Yes. So I guess that would be equivalent to speaking in tongues, but through American Sign Language. Yeah, he was or, like over in Africa or something, and everyone's like, what is that guy talking about? <laughs> right. I so I couldn't imagine. Yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. Well, you know, <laughs> the, I think the important thing to think about that, like when you look at the uh, – people can find this too. I think you can – if you just Google like the gift of tongues and Wolfmuller, a couple of things will come up. But an article that – I wrote where I was suggesting that in the the four times that we see speaking in tongues in the book of Acts, it's always number one connected to the apostolic hands. The, the exception is when when Peter goes down uh, to Cornelius's house and he's very hesitant to even baptize the people. So the Lord gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues, and he's like, "Oh boy, I guess I better baptize." But in every other time, it's the apostolic hands, and also then. It's that, that laying on the hands, I think, is especially understood as ordination. So the apostles are putting men in the office to preach. And if they don't know the languages of the people that they need to preach to, then the Lord is giving them that gift to support the office. And this is so important to understand that the Holy Spirit is connected to, the, to office and vocation, not disconnected from office and vocation. So the, the modern understanding of the Holy Spirit, and, and Lutherans are often criticized for not talking enough about the Holy Spirit. And I think that's right, and I think this is why. Because the modern understanding of the Holy Spirit is that the Sp Holy Spirit is the, the chaos maker, the anti-office, the anti-order, the, 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 the spontaneous generator. So that if the Holy Spirit comes on a person, 
They're talking in languages they don't know. They're doing. Th they're losing control of themselves and all of this. That's the opposite of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we see the gift of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, which comes often by the laying on of hands, it's to support people in the works that they're called to do. It's to support the preaching that the, the pastor is called to do. This is why in the ancient liturgy, and we've lost this to our detriment, the pastor, when he would take over the prayers of the people, and he's going to offer the prayers himself, he would say, the Lord be with you, and the people would respond, and with thy spirit. The same reason why we lay on hands at ordination and put the bread banners up there and pray for the Holy Spirit. I've often thought, here's a guy being ordained, and we're praying the Holy Spirit would come. And the guy in the back says, man, I think we should have called a pastor who had the Holy Spirit already. <laughs> this is a little bit late in the game to get the Holy Spirit. Well, of course he has the Holy Spirit as a Christian, but now we're praying for the Holy Spirit in the gift of office, especially the gift of the, uh, the office of the preaching the word. And so uh, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the word of God, the duty of vocation, and especially the preaching office are all bound up together. And and that is such an important biblical doctrine and teaching that if it's lost, the Holy Spirit's like, well, I'll just make you guys stand in there, a preacher, and you stand up and preach and you don't know, or whatever. Then no wonder we're nervous to talk about the Holy Spirit, because that doctrine is the opposite of how the scriptures speak to us. The Holy Spirit thought of as this agent of chaos is so, yeah, it's just, it's right on the nose for with the way people think about God's activity, God, the Holy Spirit. And yeah, I, we do. We, you know, I had some Baptist friends and, you know, oh yeah, you, you Lutherans, you sure do like to talk about Jesus. And that's true. We really do. But sometimes it is to the detriment of the full Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit especially. But it's the same way in which we've all but given up our evangelical moniker because it's been misused and abused and, and the new the new imagery that's associated with it. It's certainly not that we don't believe in God, the Holy Spirit. It's that we just don't want to be mistaken for people who have misused the Holy Spirit. And so, yeah, I think if we could do just what you're saying and reconnect our understanding of the Holy Spirit being associated with vocation and office— yeah, I, I just yeah, it's wonderful. I appreciate your your explanation there, and it's comforting too because I think, boy, you know, I mean, just to, to think, the Lord has called me to be a father to four. I think, boy, I don't know how to do that, but the Lord gives His gifts so that we can do those vocations. So I can pray, Lord, give me Your Holy Spirit, so that I can have the wisdom to to parent my children or to be a spouse. This is part of the blessing of the marriage rite when the pastor lays his hands on the bride and the groom. And says, may the Lord bless you with the blessing that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, that, that you may serve him well according to your vocations. That's now to receive the Holy Spirit for the office of being a husband or being a wife. The same thing when a person enters into the office of pastor, so that these callings that the Lord has given me, he hasn't called me to to, to minister in those callings apart from his help. We, we are empty vessels that are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus promises that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. And so we're always asking for the Holy Spirit so that by his strength and his wisdom, the same strength that raised Jesus from the dead and the same wisdom of God that created the world and arranged our salvation belongs to us by the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can, so that we can do these things, not 
in our own sufficiency, but in the sufficiency that comes from, from Christ. We have a few verses left. In fact, about half the chapter left before uh, we are done with our section. But I do want to get those out on the table so that we can include them in our discussion. In verse 13, Paul turns back to speaking in tongues, um, and he continues this same thought. But I'm going to read all the way to 25, which is all of our text for today. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law, it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even they then will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. All right, that's the end of the text. Yeah, so um, aside from Paul's, uh, you know, humble bragging that he's just so good at, right? I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Uh, he brings it back around to say, nevertheless, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Not exactly the same thing, but it brings to my mind my fieldwork congregation back in the day when I was at seminary a little church in southern Illinois, and they were founded by, you know, good God-fearing Lutheran Germans. And I think, if I recall correctly, in their constitution, in the little section at the front where you can't alter them allegedly, one of the inalterable articles was that the language of the church would forever be German. And so to, to nod to that in, you know, 150 years later, they did one German service a year, like a lot of Lutheran churches do. But the people being able to understand German were all gone, and they had to search out for pastors who could still speak German to come and preach and lead the worship service in German. Now, aside from the fact that the liturgy is easy to follow because we memorize it through our use of it, uh, the sermon was in unintelligible, and it's a language that the people had not learned. And you kind of sit there and go, well, when's this going to be over? Because what's the point in it? Uh, it? Oh, it's neat. It's novel. But that's not what the church is about, being neat and novel. It's about you know proclaiming the deeds of God and proclaiming the faith. So I always think of that when I think of Paul saying, you know, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct someone than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's right. He, um, it, it, part of what Paul is pressing at is, you know, what is your motivation here? What, what is going on when, when you want to stand up and speak in a tongue 
that you don't understand and nobody else understands. And he's, he's poking at that to, to direct him back to, again, what he's been preaching this whole time is the gift of love. Are you doing it to build up or not? Uh, 10,000 words in a tongue. Would you rather have that or five words in a language that's understood? And I mean, what can you do in five words? And not, not much. I'm not sure Paul could have ever constrained himself to five words. I know, <laughs> you know, the Corinthians would have said five words. Yeah, right, Paul. I mean, Paul's the guy who preaches all night and people fall asleep and, <laughs> and plunge to their death. You know, this is the <laughs> Paul, but, but this is what he says. Give me, you can give me 10,000 words in a tongue or five words in an understood language. And I would take the five words any day because it's for the other. It's for the one. It's it's serving someone, and and this whole business of the spirit and the mind is very, is very interesting. There's a, um, there's a danger. There's a Christian danger that we diminish the mind. That we that we that we diminish understanding. That we diminish the capacity to articulate and to, um, and and to comprehend and to meditate on the the gifts of God. No, not so with Saint Paul. He says, "Look, we got to serve the Lord with our spirit and with our minds. Both we're called to love the Lord, the, our God, with all our heart and soul and mind and strength." And so um, we can't say, "Oh yeah, I've got a very healthy spirit, but my mind is totally checked out." No, uh, love for the neighbor won't permit it. And so the Word of God is also engaging us in our understanding. Sometimes this happens in kind of a pious way when you're digging into some difficult passages in the scripture and people say, you know, I just like to keep it simple. Jesus loves me. This I know. Well, okay. It's true. Jesus loves you, but, but we are called to use our mind to serve the Lord uh, and to serve our neighbor. And so you, we're not, we're not allowed to dismiss those things of the mind. We, we, we are supposed to understand and then to say, and this is really quite, quite nice to say, amen to those things that are confessed. Now, I'll confess, Phil, that this the text, though, does have a confusing thing in me because Paul does say, he says, look, tongues are for a sign for the unbeliever. But then he says, but if you're speaking in tongues, the sign that the unbeliever is going to get from that is that you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, oh, yeah, you'll be, you'll, uh, the, these are sign gifts. I think that's probably what the Corinthians were arguing. Well, these are sign gifts that show we have the spirit. And, and Paul says, yeah, these are sign gifts that show that you're crazy. <laughs> and that's maybe not what you want to be putting on the sign. We're all crazy over here. Rather, speak a prophecy, preach the law and the gospel, and their hearts will be, um, how does it say? Their hearts will be exposed. The secrets of their hearts are disclosed, and they'll fall on their face, and they'll worship God, and they'll declare that God is really among you. That's, what, that's the result of prophecy. So um, if you want people to think that you're different, you can go ahead and speak in tongues. But if you want people to believe the promises of the gospel, well, that's why preaching is established. That's why prophecy is given. And that's why it's to be desired. You bringing up the necessity that the Christian you know, uses their mind to meditate on and to build up their faith through the, you know, and looking at the scriptures, reading them. I, I, it reminds me, of the misused and often used as fodder against us quote of Luther that reason is the enemy of faith. 
as if the only way, and this is how perhaps an atheist would say, they'd say, oh, well, that's true because you guys are so without reason. The only way you could believe that is if you threw reason out the window. Now, there, there are circumstances whereby our human experience and even our reason um, cannot understand the things of God except to you know, believe in them because they are from him. But to throw out reason in the sense of, well, I'm, I'm not even going to just question anything is not what the Bible ever calls anyone to. Right. I've heard someone say, well, pastors would be really, and I've used this before on the air, but it's worth, it bears repeating. Pastors would be really upset if their people actually read the Bible. I'm like, well, then why am I spending so much time trying to get people to read the Bible? If that were right. true. Right. I mean, my whole job is to get them to engage in the word and not in, well, let's just keep it simple. Yep, Jesus loves me, this I know, just, uh, yeah, because the Bible tells me so. Well, actually, you only believe in the Bible because Jesus loves you. It's not the other way around. And this is a message because God wants you to grow in wisdom and stature and faith. And Paul frequently talks about these people being children or needing milk, and he's trying to bring them along. And you're absolutely right. This idea of tongues, yeah, that seems pretty flashy. If they're able to speak in languages that they haven't learned or um, are not well known among the people, then yeah, it makes them look like they've received some real special gift and they're above and higher than the others. But if it's so, if but if you someone from the outside were to come in and everyone's speaking a different language and none of them really understand what's going on, it would look as ridiculous, unfortunately, as it does look when it's practiced today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I, this the the approach to reason. You know, Luther will say some things about some bad things about reason, but he also reminds us, this is in the catechism, that God gives us our reason in all our senses. It should be understood as a gift from God, but our reason is found, is to be found in service to God, not the other way around. So some theologians have talked about the difference between the magisterial use of reason versus the ministerial use of reason, so that reason doesn't rule over the scriptures, but rather reason serves the scriptures. So I'm, lo- I'm using my reason so that I can understand what's written, so that I can look at the Greek and translate it to English, or I can look at the Hebrew and parse it into, into English, or that I can look at the different texts and I can draw connections and I can look at what the language is saying and I can understand how these, what these things mean but, but, so that I can understand them, but not to rule over them and say, well, that doesn't make sense, so it can't be true. So reason tells me, that the Lord created the world in six days. And I might go and say, well, my scientific discovery would say something different. Well, I I use my reason to understand the Lord's word and I believe what he gives. Or reason might, I might look at myself and the people around me and say, you're all dying. But the word tells me that those who believe in Jesus have passed from death to life. So that I, I use my reason to understand what the Lord says in his word. And then I believe what it says there, and I don't try to use my reason to, to make it um, make sense or make it palatable. But like a child, I trust that the Lord can't lie and that what he's revealed to me in the scriptures is true. Yeah, I love that magisterial and ministerial understanding. That was one of the first things when I had gone to the seminary that helped me with this very issue. And it's one of the first things I like to teach confirmands. When I finally, you know, get a hold of them, and of course adults too, is that God doesn't want you to be this uh, blind, ignorant follower because what will happen is you will find someone who 
is able to speak with a slick tongue and maybe perform all kinds of signs and you're going to follow into the wrong trap. In fact, he wants us to be discerning people, discerning spirits, seeking out the scriptures to make sure what's being preached is proper, uh, understanding the scripture, growing in wisdom and knowledge, as I said earlier. So that ministerial magisterial is so important because it puts reason as a gift of God and in its right place, which is to serve us, serve us, serve our neighbors. And that is to understand that the scriptures are to be uh, the queen of the right theology is the queen of the sciences. So scripture is the is the main textbook that we should look to. Not that it answers all of our questions, uh, not all the ones that we want to ask, but it speaks to God's activity on this earth. And whenever our reason conflicts with the clear teaching of scripture, yeah, the scripture wins every time. Has to because we even if we can't fully explain it, we have to give God the credit for being able to. Uh, make it make sense, even if we can't in our feeble minds. In a way, uh, St. Paul is teaching us in this text the ministerial use of tongues and the mm -hmm. ministerial use of spiritual gifts. And that is to say that we should look at these things um, in the context of the of the love that the Lord has given us directed toward the neighbor. So if I have the gift of tongues, it's not for me. It's for the glory of God and for the comfort of the neighbor. And I should use it in that way so that everything can is, is given by God as useful and profitable, but it can be misused. And so the misuse of tongues is, has to be put in its place, just like the misuse of reason, the misuse of emotions, the misuse of the, the power and strength of God. All these things can be misused when we exalt them over the word of God. We have to be very careful of not letting that pendulum swing the other way so that we don't use these gifts at all. Yeah. yeah. So one thing, we have just a few minutes left in the program, and I like to invite my guests to share a word of gospel with the listeners, something that would benefit them and something maybe they can share with their neighbor. Would you mind doing that for us, Pastor? Sure. Maybe in, on, the, on the topic of tongues here, how about, the, how about this wonderful thing, that there is apparently an angelic language. And, um, and we can't hear it. We're deaf to it. But when Jesus came down, he made it known to us. And not only the angelic language and the angelic song, but the angelic joy, what they rejoice over. So Jesus comes and translates the angel's voice for us. And he says this. He says, the angels in heaven rejoice, not when we manage to please God with our own efforts and works, not when we muster up strength to be heroic in our whatever in our life, but rather when we repent, when we recognize our sin, and then when we recognize our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the, the angelic tongue, uh, Jesus says, is loosed to praise God when we recognize that Christ is the Savior. How about that? So Jesus speaks you to us in tongues. Uh, he gives us the tongues of the angels, and he says the angels are are laughing and singing for joy whenever you rejoice that your sins are forgiven. And God be praised for that. Beautifully put. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church and Jesus Lutheran Church of the Death in Austin, Texas. Uh, look up more about him at wolfmuller.co. That's W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. And thank you, too, dear listener, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. Tune in tomorrow as we continue in 1 Corinthians with orderly worship 
and with the second half of chapter 14. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong work. Thank you.